Hey guys, welcome to Mountain Murders. Hey, how's it going? What's happening? I'm Heather. <laughs> and I'm Dylan. And you're drinking a beer. And you're I have... over there rattling around and making a lot of noise. You know that that irritates me. Now, I grabbed it silently, honestly. If you had not seen me touch the beer can, you would not have known that I'm touching it. No, I heard it rattle. Okay, and um, well, I'm just going to... What are you having tonight? Well, it's just a PBR. Oh, yeah? Keeping it real. Well, it is the Blue Ribbon winner. It has been for probably like 75 years, it probably says on the cans. I think it came out in the 1800s. Yeah. I think so. I think it came out actually for the World's Fair that was in Chicago. Was that like in 1896 or 98? Wait a second. Was that the one where H.H. H. Holmes yeah, Murder Motel so. was yeah. connected to that time? I believe so. If I know my beer history. Oh, my God. I might have to double check that. Someone will okay. probably correct me if it's not true. I'm going to take one drink and I'm putting it away, okay? Okay. Promise. So, we've been in the process of moving and we're pretty excited about that. We're actually not moving. It's not like we're really moving like out of state or anything. We're just moving a county over. Yeah. But you'll be closer to work. That's right. I'll be closer to family. I won't be falling asleep driving home from work. Yeah, totally uh, true. be a plus. But yeah, we're closer to friends and family. Yeah, so that'll be good. And um, we're <laughs> excited because we're moving into a really cute house. And right now we are kind of living in, it's like a hard, hard to describe. It's like we live in an apartment that's attached to like a bigger house, almost like a duplex kind of thing. Yeah, allegedly used to be like a lodge or something. And we've come to realize that like having neighbors is not great, especially when you kind of have to share space with them. I don't like seeing people, it yeah. turns out. So we're pretty excited to be moving into this little house. We're going to have a big yard. Yeah. And be able to uh, enjoy like evenings out on the porch. I can't wait to sit outside. I know, me too. <laughs> so we've been packing, moving, trying to get that organized. And right now our house kind of looks like a crime scene. It does. It totally. Um, if they came in here, they'd be like, something's going on. Something's happened here. Yes. All this incredible wall art is stacked over here by the door. What's oh, no, going on? Someone was trying to steal Heather's Velvet Elvis. They were, yeah, I think it maybe it was a, they interrupted a robbery and now they're missing. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. They, they snaked our, like what, our record collection? Yeah, our records, our, our vintage ceramics and some everybody, oddities. Everybody wants a, like, Kenny Rogers album. <laughs> well, who doesn't want three fetal pigs? That's true. In a glass case. <laughs> everybody. Or, or a rat skeleton in a glass case. Hey, that was a beautiful gift. Thank you. That was. and Or a bat. Uh, that was a great gift. Yeah. Or the little tentacle in a jar. Yeah. So we have uh, crazy, stupid stuff like that in our house, guys. <laughs> now you know. Well, packing it up has been an adventure. Yeah. And you were talking a little bit ago about um, trying to sell stuff on Facebook. Yeah, because... Um, how just stupid that whole process is. Well, yeah, you put, <laughs> you put something on there, and I'm sure someone out, out there can relate. Okay. Some of our incredible friends that listen to us. And um, so you put something on there and then like 20 people are like, yeah, I want that now. I need that. I want that one. I want that one. <laughs> so you're like, okay, cool. It's going to be easy to sell this thing. And then you you go by, you know, whoever answered first and kind of make a list. And then you go through about 10 people. Nobody shows up. And then you still got the fucking thing that you're trying to get rid of. So, yeah. Yeah. If everybody came that said they were coming... We would have sold it 50 times. We would have sold it 50 times. And I don't care what <laughs> it is you list, that's what you deal with on Facebook. It's true. I know. But is there a more like reliable way to sell your items? That's free? Yeah, probably probably not. not. Because one out of that 100 people will come get that shit. Funny enough, I did host a call-in radio show where people would sell their items. Yeah. it was hugely popular in the South. And especially, I think, in the mountain region, you get a lot of that. Yeah. It's really popular on AM radio, but we were on AM and FM. And so I would get people calling me up all the time trying to sell stuff. It I, was amazing. I bet you got some real characters call it up. It was the most entertaining. I could imagine. I had a love-hate relationship with it. <laughs> I loved it because it was so wildly entertaining, but I hated it because it was just stupid. And you had to do it every day? <laughs> yeah. It yeah. Was, get, it would get fucking old. Yeah. Like someone called me up wanting... Um, you know, somebody to come over and dehorn their goats. Right. And then you'll get caught. They're call just ramming each other in the head. And I'm like, well, isn't that what fucking goats do? I mean. Yeah. And then you get other people call and say, what was that guy with the, that needed his goat's dehorns number? Oh, yeah. Because I'm a goat dehorner. Yeah. <laughs> it was just <laughs> something all the time. Which, is, you know, if uh, you anybody's ever seen that, that's pretty fucking mean and cruel. 
Yeah, I don't want to see that. The goat dehorning thing? Yeah. That they do to them when they're quite young? Yeah, I don't want to watch that. It's pretty rough. And it's just not something I would do to an animal. And I love goats. Well, I, d- you I don't. know how much I love baby goats. I know. Baby goats in pajamas. When I seen that one meme we put across Facebook, I knew you would totally... If the guy had the murderer had a baby goats in pajama in the in the car, you're done. Yeah. Because you're getting in the car. I love baby goats. Yeah, but it's pretty cruel. But anyway, let's uh, move on. Yeah, let's move on. Oh, before we get started, we should totally talk about the uh, elephant in the podcast room. Yeah. Okay. So how we were talking about a way to make researching and putting a, a podcast episode. Or, uh, true crime episode together. Very easy. You just go steal it from someone else. You just go write word for word what they said and say it in your voice. <laughs> well, I'll be honest. I've never been a big fan of crime junkies. Crime junkie, whatever. I tried. I just, they, they really get on my nerves. But wait, are you... Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah I can't. You totally got I that like, going on. LOL, just can't. Like, I'm literally dying when I'm listening to it. But at the same time, I could listen and be like, okay, that's that's well-researched. And, you know, they're... they're well, yeah, it is. Doing because a, it turns out they fucking rip other people off. They're doing a pretty good job of putting that together. And uh, and then you find out that uh, sometimes maybe they uh, didn't want to put the, a little bit of elbow grease in there. Well, yeah, it's easy to produce a great podcast when you're ripping off other people's work. <laughs> that's true. But... um And... um. Some people may say that we have not mentioned any sources or anything, and we typically get the big details and try to flesh it out ourselves. We do. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I go to the library and pull up a lot of old right. microfiche, and I'm looking through old newspaper articles. Right, and, and also uh, we do talk about some things that aren't very, you know, they're not hugely well popular right. or well-known. And I'm not saying there's not a report or a newscast or, you know, a newspaper article out there that has some words that we've said in it. Of course there is. But and, um, um, I do know that we don't just uh, open up something and just basically read it off your computer screen. No, we don't. But, um, uh, yeah, so uh, way to go, guys. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah. That's It's really easy to put together a podcast when you're doing that, I guess. And uh, we are getting a little better in learning as we go, and we will get more professional on some of the ins and outs. Can I tell the guy, tell him what I thought about our intro, about our warning? Sure, yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I thought it would go like this. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Um, welcome to Mount Murders, and it, Mount Murders is about, wait for it, fucking murder. So it's not for kids, okay? So kick those little bastards out of the room, throw them out of the car, lock them in the trunk, no, pour no. your <laughs> pour your glass of wine, crack your craft beer, and let's talk about murder. So does that yeah. work? Well, it does, and it's kind of funny. I mean, I know we're we're like you know kind of joking and coking here yeah, a little bit before we get started, but I had breakfast with my dad. Was that like last weekend yeah. or something? Not that long ago. And we were talking about the podcast. I was telling him what we were doing. And he says, well, you know, you really can't use foul language because people won't listen when they got kids in the car and stuff. Right, to murder podcast. And I was like, so, I mean, I don't know how else I'm supposed to talk about Ed Kemper skull fucking his mom. Right. Which, of course, he just stares at me blankly. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how you tone that down, but like Ed uh, gently well, like, removed his mother's head and um, this is what happened when two people were in love. He inserts his dick into her throat hole. I mean, I yeah. I know, but I was just like, Dad, it's um, it's a true crime podcast. I'm like, we're mostly talking about murder. and like, It's not for kids. Don't think that we really need to avoid foul language because I don't think people are listening with their kids. I say that and then I'm like, oh yeah, we totally were listening to that like Gigi Allen episode of... Uh, was that disgrace uh, land yeah yeah with, with your daughter with abella 13 year old yeah with my um now stepdaughter <laughs> and um gg okay. allen's well, pretty not rough everybody not everyone out there is a shitty parent like we are i guess okay but um i i know that um <laughs> sometimes i listen to a little bit when i'm driving ayla to school but yeah. when it gets rough if it does i turn it off yeah i mean we, we try to be mindful of that with our own kids. I joke about we're shitty parents and we're really, we're not. <laughs> oh, no, we're just, we're just shitty enough to be regular folk. Yeah, we're just shitty enough to fuck them up real good. Yeah, well, you got to fuck them up a little bit because life's going to fuck them up. Well, yeah. See, and they got to be ready for that. Right. We just, we kind of keep it real. We just kind of like raise them in a real, like a uh, realistic, we're into realism. Right. In this household. We're realist. So um, maybe a little bit of surrealism. I don't know. 
I can't. Uh, okay, so I feel like we maybe should get on with it. Yeah, let's get started And uh, here. what's this case about? Well, we're going to take it way back. And if you're a North Carolina native, you've likely heard the story or at least heard of this case. We're going to be talking about the legend of Frankie Silver. That's a good one. You know the story, huh? I do. I, I've recently read of it, and I still haven't got the book out, but I will later. I've returned it to the library. Oh, did you really? I did. Oh, okay. I guess I was um, a little late on the draw to finish it. Well, it was due. Okay. But yes, it was called Dead and Gone. And it was 10 North Carolina murders? 10 most famous uh, murders in North Carolina. So I forgot the author's name. It was very well written. I will look that up later. I think his last name was Manly. I think it's Manly. So yeah, if anybody else wants to check that out, your local library, it's a very good book on uh, mountain uh, local. North Carolina murders. North Carolina murders all over the state. Well, mountain folks are unique individuals, for sure. Outsiders have viewed us as lazy, maybe moonshiners, feuding, superstitious over the generations. And the stereotype has not altered under today's lens much. Some of the older mountain legends and stories may help or hurt our cause. I don't know. Mountaineers traditionally may be simple people, but stupid and lazy, we are not. Mountaineers are some of the most creative and industrious folks you'll ever meet. Why do I bring this up? Because today we're going to discuss one of the most infamous murder cases in North Carolina history, a case that potentially involves the, and I'm using air quotes here, hillbillies that one might imagine when they think of the Appalachian Mountains and the people who lived here in the past, maybe even the people who live here today. Oh yeah, I'm sure there's a few of them left out there. Francis Stewart was born between 1813 and 1815. Now, little is known about her actual birth date as record keeping was not what it is by today's standards. Some speculate she may have been born as early as 1810. The Stewarts, also known as the Stewards, had come up from Anson County or the Lowlands, and mountain folks called them furriners. That's pretty funny because they're not even that far, uh, you know, they're not even from that far away. Strangers were often nicknamed in the mountains as foreigners, or if you're local, foreigners. Now, the Stewarts settled near the Tow River and built their cabin near the Silvers Farm. Frankie was about six years old when they moved to the area. The area is now known as the Kona community in Mitchell County. Okay. Well, I know Mitchell County's at. Yep, Mount Mitchell. Isn't that the highest peak elevation? Like I think so. East of the Mississippi River, I think. Something like that. It's yeah. definitely I've in this area. I've actually never been to Mount Mitchell. It's on my bucket list. And I hate to say that. I hate to admit that I have lived in this region pretty much my entire life, minus the few years I didn't live here. Well, can and we have just yet to go to Mount Mitchell? Can we just go there? Go there tomorrow? Yeah, we totally should. Okay. Life in the mountains was hard and rough for its residents. It has been noted that Frankie's parents educated her and she could both read and write, which was not commonplace, um, especially for women at that time, particularly women in the mountain region. It's an isolated community. Education was scarce. If you managed to go to school, it was probably only for a few years. Most people dropped out by third, fourth grade. Yeah. Once you got kind of big enough, old enough to to help help around the homestead. And also, that's all the education you needed. To get through your daily life or job, you know, to get jobs, you only needed a, to be able to have basic skills. Right. Like and that. most men weren't literate, but especially not women at that time. So the fact that Frankie could read and write was, you know, kind of a big deal. By 14, Frankie had blossomed into a pretty blue eyed blonde, maybe weighing about 90 pounds. So she was fairly petite. By 18, she was married to the neighbor's only son. Now, whether it was a love match or just circumstance, I mean, since the area was so rural, prospects were slim. They weren't swiping right on Tinder. No, that's how you ended up with your cousin sometimes. It's true. It was as if the two were destined to marry. The couple built a pole cabin down by the Tow River just over the ridge from the Silvers family home. Charlie, Silver, and Frankie would settle there in the cabin. Now, her husband, Charlie Silver, was 18. He was described as a rugged outdoor type. So when you're thinking about that traditional, stereotypical mountaineer, 
maybe AKA Hillbilly. He's that guy. Well, yeah, and you got to think that everybody back there, back then, were outdoorsy to a degree. You know, they cooked with wood and, you know, they didn't have all the creature comforts we did nowadays. So if someone back then describes someone as out, you know, just the epitome of the outdoors type, he must have been a hardworking, bust your ass, you know. And he was. Yeah. He hunted, he worked hard and enjoyed drinking too. Now, he came from a family of very hospitable, personal people. He was popular. He had a lot of friends in the community. People really liked Charlie. And he was described as helpful, always lending a hand to raise a barn or build a fence. And then after the work was done, he was fun to be around, making jokes, you know, kind of carrying on. So people really enjoyed Charlie's company. I kind of imagine him today as the guy who would just be the life of the party. Yeah, and back then that was uh, really fun to be around because uh, entertainment is very limited. Right. Like you're around this funny guy, he might tell some jokes or, you know, just have people laughing. That's like if someone could sing back then. That was a big deal. Yeah, he was definitely like an entertainer, just the life of the party. You know, you work hard with him all day, and then he's going to stick around. You might take a couple of nips of moonshine. Yeah, I have he's a couple of nips. tell you some stories, maybe tell you a dirty joke or two. A couple of nips whatever. off the jug, have some yeah. laughs. Kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, how you are when we go to the fish fry. Well, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I like to I like to bullshit with my boys. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah. Well, Frankie was also described as a hard worker. Though young, she tended house, helped inside and outside the home. As I mentioned, the pair had built the small cabin, which was a typical homestead for the time. Um, and as I mentioned, it was by the Silvers' home, so just over from Charlie's parents. So right there, kind of in the backyard of the in-laws. She was also described as a good housekeeper. On the loom, she could spend three yards of cotton a day, as they say, on the big wheel. Uh, yes, actually, when I was reading that, that seemed to be like a big deal that a woman, you know, anyone could spend that much because they're literally taking the yarn and making cloth, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, or, uh, yeah. And so a lot of people described her as just like this amazing, like hard worker and she was really talented spinning on this big wheel and could just crank out the, you know, the yards of cotton. Kind of known for that. She was also described as a tiny force. So even though she was slight in stature, she worked hard and she kind of had a bit of an assertive disposition for which was a little unusual for, you know, a woman at that time. Well, yeah, right. I mean, women were a little bit more demure back then. Maybe um, not as vocal. The men were definitely the head of the household, it was a man's world, but they said Frankie was a, a bit of a firecracker. So she was a, kind of a standout in women back then, right? Well, yeah, I guess she didn't mind to, to speak her mind here and there. Yeah. December 22nd, 1831. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Charlie was planning to go hunting the next day, which would have been the 23rd, and there wasn't a great deal of firewood at the cabin, so Frankie had asked him to split some wood before he headed out on his hunting trip. Now, Charlie would often go hunting for days at a time, leaving Frankie and their baby daughter, Nancy, home alone. And at this time, Nancy was about 13 months old, still, you know, quite small. A year after the marriage, they had had the child, so not very long after they got married, had this little girl. Christmas was coming up, and Charlie was going to fetch the family some meat for the holiday. Charlie went out. He took down a hickory tree. He spent most of the day, you know, hewing off the limbs, splitting the trunk until there were logs that would fit into the fireplace. you got to imagine, that is hard work. I mean, oh. they didn't have chainsaws. It was all done by hand with an axe. Well, I'll tell you, I've done, you know, um, I've spent many a day uh, sawing up a tree and getting it and, and then busting it. Even, uh, I'd never use the log splitter. I I would use a pole axe and a wedge. But even that is, you know, talking about worn out, but felling a tree with an axe, delimbing it with the same axe, then chopping it into, you're going to imagine like 18 inches or less pieces and splitting it. My God. So that's why in the beginning of the story, I kind of mentioned that some people have stereotypes of like the lazy hillbilly. Well, that's a man right there or a woman. The women did plenty of work every day just to get dinner on the table and the kids safe. 
and the cows milked and the animals fed. And the, I mean, that's just those people back then, period, were just hardcore. Right. Um, uh, yeah. And Definitely. that's probably why they could eat bacon and biscuits and real butter and grease and all that all the time. And, and drink the milk straight from the cow. And drink the milk straight from the cow. And not, they needed that because they're burning <laughs> 4,000 calories a day. Yeah. Well, you can imagine how physically stout Charlie was. Yeah. And don't be fooled because women of this day were strong, too. I mean, back then, men and women alike knew how to swing an axe and shoot a gun. It was just necessity. Oh, you want to talk about washing clothes? They're actually scrubbing it on a washboard and wringing by hand. And just everything they did back then was hard. Well, you know... My family, the women in my family, uh, could people would describe us as physically stout. I've had someone tell me before, girl, you got some sturdy legs. And well, I was like, well, I'm not sure if that's a compliment. But my nana, she yeah. was a pretty strong woman. My granny in pictures, I'm like, you know, she had some guns. Oh, no, you guys are uh, you guys are off of a line of homesteaders. Oh, we are. And yeah. so uh, you could really make a homestead with these women. Evolution has uh, kind of made, you know, I, I fit into that. Well, no, I can totally probably go plow a field, right? Well, no, given <laughs> that you have some direct ties to some old blood, which would I would think would be old blood, you know, connected years, you know, to when they first, you know, people first came pushing up on shore here before they fucked everybody up and killed everybody. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm more of a mishmash of whatever. But yeah, you, you the Hyatts here in Haywood County uh, can directly be linked straight back to literally when they're, you know, the boats are pulling up to shore. So when I think about these people swinging axes, shooting guns, this necessity, I mean, I'm thinking about like my people because... Uh, it is. If you listen to the episode where I talked to my mom, she describes a lot of this hard work that she was doing as a kid, and that was just a few decades ago. Right. So I'm thinking about little Frankie. I mean, she's probably a sturdy, sturdy little stout woman. Well, you say 90 pounds, but with her strength and all the stuff she has to do back then, she could probably whoop straight up whoop some people's ass nowadays because we're is, soft. And this is important. So keep these details in mind. I'm not getting off on a tangent here. But I'm just thinking about um, Frankie and, and the case that's going to unfold here and why it's important to keep in mind that she may have been a petite little woman, but she was mighty. <laughs> she was probably wiry as fuck. <laughs> right. As strong as I'll get out. Charlie racked up the wood enough for a week and came into the house where Frankie was cooking supper. The two had dinner. Now, Charlie was known to nap by the fireplace. One of the things he was known to do was lie on the floor which you got to consider was plank, wood floor, in front of the heat. But he would prop his head, like his neck up, on this little wooden stool. Yeah, that makes my neck stiff, like, just thinking about it. Like, yeah. I get a crick. Ouch. Yeah, but it sounds like he was a, a fairly sizable man, maybe long and lanky. So that's what he liked to do. And Frankie would later say Charlie snuggled up with their baby daughter for a bit, then dozed off into, you know, a little bit of a nap. He'd worked hard all day, got a belly, got that puppy belly full of food, probably some biscuits or cornbread or something like that. Oh, I guarantee it. Slips off into a nice little coma. So she picked the baby up and put the baby in the cradle, you know, to sleep. The next morning, December 23rd, Mrs. John. Now, some people say that Charlie's father was John Silver and other people say his name was Jacob Silver. So that's another thing that there's a little bit of misinformation kind of floating around. But I believe John was his actual name. Well, Mrs. John Silver, which is Charlie's mother, and her two daughters were outside washing clothes, as you mentioned, those washboards. That's an all-day job. Yeah. So they're out there washing clothes, hanging laundry when they saw Frankie approaching. Frankie said, you're at it early. I've been at it myself since before daylight. So she's been up working hard, too. When one of Charlie's sisters asked about her brother, Frankie said he'd gotten up early to go hunting. He had headed over the river to hunt, making his way to George Young's house. And Young was a friend of Charlie's, and he would hunt there occasionally. It was reported that Frankie then went to her parents' cabin. She returned home later. By late afternoon, she was back at the Silver's cabin. She told them she was going to stay over at her parents' house because Charlie wasn't back from hunting, and she didn't want to stay home alone. 
Frankie said Charlie had fed the cow that morning, but asked if Charlie's brother Alfred might go feed the cow again. Mrs. Silvers would later say Frankie seemed nervous and suspicious when she was talking about Charlie's absence. Oh, no. 17-year-old Alfred went to the cabin to feed the cow. He noted there were no footprints near the cow shed, only those of a woman. So not Charlie's footprints. It had snowed there so he could kind of see some of the tracks in the snow. So, Which at the time, I guess, he didn't think anything about that, really. But then later, he's like, wait a minute. Her having said he fed him this morning. Yeah. I didn't see any. I didn't even see Charlie's footprints. Okay. So that is going to come into play here in a few minutes. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day came and went. No sign of Charlie. Frankie had returned back to their cabin. And on Christmas Day, she took Nancy to the Silver's cabin, which would be, you know, Nancy's grandparents. Uh, Frankie seemed like she was in a foul mood about Charlie's disappearing act. She said she was so angry that he had stayed gone through the holidays that she didn't even care if he came back at all. She then went to the Stewart home place again to stay another night. So she goes to her in-laws. It's Christmas. She's visiting with them. Charlie's not back. And he was known to go hunt for days at a time. And it was rumored that sometimes he would be, you know, hunting but he might be laid up somewhere drunk. Oh, so yeah. So he'd go put work in, but stick a day in the middle of it to kind of just not be at home and do whatever Charlie wants. Yeah. Okay. So she'd gone back to her parents' house to spend another night. Well, by December 26, the Silvers were concerned about Charlie. Uh, he would go hunting, and as I mentioned, sometimes for days at a time. But with the holiday, they felt, you know, he would have come home. Right. To stay gone through Christmas, that just wasn't like Charlie. A group of mountain men were gathered to do a search for him. They combed the areas around the Tow River, slopes of, you know, Mount Mitchell. Now, these were skilled navigators. They were out in this land all the time. They were hunting. I mean, they really knew the land. Trackers? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's not like they're just doing a... Eh, he's not out here, a little search. It's I mean, not like they don't know how to search the woods and surrounding thorough, area. And they're trackers, so they can tell if someone's been here. You know, maybe someone's been here hunting. I mean, they could kind of tell these things. But there were no signs of Charlie anywhere. Not a hide in your hair, as they say. John Silver and the Silver family was really worried. John, I guess, even went as far as contacting the sheriff to say, hey, we can't find Charlie, he's missing. John had heard of a man in Tennessee, roughly maybe 40 miles away, a conjure man. He was a slave owned by someone named Williams. Do you know what a conjure man is? I know, but I'm going to guess he's just some kind of like um, witch doctorish kind of voodoo. Yeah, conjure men, also known as juju men, oh, okay. witch doctors, root doctors, etc., and now they use like voodoo, Santeria, Macumba to kind of help, I guess, in their conjuring. Yeah, so they're going to be reading tea leaves or throwing bones or, you know, just something and claiming to see something in it, right? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, we live fairly close to the um, Cherokee Reservation. Yeah. And I know people around here who've said, oh, no, you've been conjured. Yeah, or somebody's working roots on you. Yeah. So you've heard that too. Yeah. Right. Well, this guy again was a slave owned by this fellow named Williams. So Silver loaded up his horse and made the two-day trip over to Tennessee to try to seek out this man who had this slave with this particular skill set. See, isn't that funny? We think 40 miles nowadays, I could be there in 25 minutes in good traffic, right? Yeah. But um, back then, that was a... Big deal, 40, 50 miles. Yeah, two days. I mean, you had to take supplies. You had to carry basically your supplies with you and hit, you know, points along the way to get rest and Over water. Over the river and through the woods. Yeah, and I mean, water your horse. Yeah, it's a big deal. So he must have uh, really wanted to see this conjure man. The slave used a uh, divining stick or a divining, div- divining stick. How well, yeah. You? I'm not sure what people call that. No, I think it's a divining stick. It's like when the people look for water and shit, right? Yeah, I know. And they got the rods. Somebody, uh, I know somebody who does that. They call it dousing. Yeah, and then when they cross or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I know someone, he was a minister, 
and um, he would douse for water. So he'd take these two sticks and he would find water for people, like if they were going to put a well on Some the of those people are strangely accurate with those things. Oh, he definitely was. And I think it has to do something with like magnet, magnetic shit of the earth or something, right? Well, the stick oh. this guy used had a glass ball that swung on the end from a cord. So think of like a pendulum, okay. right? The William Slave was away at the time. So when Silver arrived, Williams explained, hey, my guy's, my guy's out of town right now. If you want to stick around a few days, you can, or I can try to help you. Yeah, he's off conjuring for other people. Yeah, it was probably a pretty sought out fella. The conjuring. Well, he had Silver draw a map for him. And he said, I can use the tool. I've seen him use it before. I kind of know how it works. Silver drew this map out, had the cabin in the middle, and then the surrounding area, the river. And the guy was like, we'll hang this over the map, and it will swing in the direction where Charlie is. The stick didn't swing at all, but instead it stood still on top of the map at the point of the cabin. So the glass ball or whatever is just hanging over the cabin, not budging. Yeah. Okay. At least this is the story that's been told. Well, this is what I would expect it to do hanging at the end of a string. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you believe in that. Well, there you go. William said, you know, was it possible he was done away with at his home? And Silver said he didn't think so. William said the body must have been found then, like while you've been here. And brought home. Yes. Okay. While Silvers was gone, searchers were still trying to find Charlie. It had come out that George Young had said he hadn't seen Charlie in weeks. And uh, he was supposed to be kind of making his way to George Young's property? According to Frankie, Charlie was going to go hunting over at George Young's. Yes. And, you know, here's Young saying, you know, hey, I haven't seen him in weeks. So he didn't go there. Didn't go there. Now, meanwhile, back at the cabin, a man named Jake Cullis, who was a respected hunter and trapper, had gone to the Silver Cabin. On this one particular day, there's a whole lot of people over there searching, combing around, trying to find clues, looking for Charlie. This fella walks around the cabin a few times, and then he goes inside where Frankie's waiting in her house, you know, kind of tending house, got the baby just waiting for news on Charlie. He starts poking around in the fireplace. And then he comments to Frankie how there were a lot of ashes in the fireplace. These really thick, kind of gray ashes. And he noticed some bones and told her that the ashes appeared greasy. And he asked Frankie to get him a bowl of water, which she did. He then slid a pebble from the fire into the bowl And it started to bubble. And he said, see there, those are grease bubbles. Some more neighbors who were at their property assisting in the search and were kind of, you know, there in support of Frankie. They all kind of gather and are kind of watching this whole scene unfold. Cullis starts digging through the ash more and eventually pulls out a metal buckle, which everyone recognized as Charlie's buckle. He had worn it on his shoes. Apparently, he'd worn these kind of moccasin-style shoes, and that buckle was... Was different. Yeah. I guess people knew that... Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, that Charlie wore shoes like that and had that buckle. Bone fragments and several teeth were found in this greasy, ashy fireplace. That's not good. The planks in front of the fireplace had been rigu- rigorously kind of scrubbed recently, which people also kind of took note of. Hey, wait a minute. These floorboards look really sparkling clean. So these are some old school detectives, basically, and they're just probably regular folk because, you know, there's not a big presence of anything there besides the community. (laughs) Exactly. Collis and the others began pulling up the floorboards. Now, there is some speculation and rumor, but I couldn't find any factual account that John Silver had made his way back from Tennessee at this point. A lot of people say that John Silver had come back and said, oh, he has to be here in the cabin. Oh, and that's what initiated the search of the cabin? Right. But other documents that were more like actual legal documents that were used. This kind of transpired while he was gone. Yeah. I don't think he'd quite come back yet as this is unfolding. Well, the earth below the wood floor planks had a really dark spot. And some of the searchers said it was as big as a hog's liver. And that was an actual quote. 
Wow. So kind of a big, nasty spot. They go get the sheriff. His name is W.C. Butler. He's called out to the cabin. He starts interrogating Frankie, who adamantly denied having been involved in anything that was taking place. Okay, so she's going to keep her mouth shut. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where he is. I had nothing to do with it. I don't know shit. I ain't seen shit. Yeah, exactly. Well, she was placed under arrest. Due to Frankie's size, I mean, being so small and slender, everybody was asking, like, how could she have done this by herself? How could she have killed Charlie, who... Big old, hard-working Charlie. Young man. Kicking ass, taking names. I mean, you got to imagine he's 18 years old, 19 years old. He's admired by other hardworking people as a hard worker. He's slim thick, as they say. Oh, yeah. Slim thickness. (laughs) So how could she have killed him then dispose of this body? The sheriff also arrested Frankie's mother and brother. And they were all brought to Morganton, North Carolina on January 9th, 1832. Eventually, charges would be dropped against Barbara and Blackston Stewart, Frankie's mother and brother. So they just arrest them just in case, huh? Frankie was indicted with murder. She pleaded not guilty. Her trial was set for March 29th. During the trial, Frankie claimed that she was abused by Charlie. Now, a petition circulated by townswomen and several members of the jury in Frankie's favor after she was found guilty and sentenced to hang. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they don't play it back then. You don't stay in jail for years. They hang your ass. During the trial, now this is where things get interesting. The story presented was that Charlie Silver was napping with his head on that stool. As we mentioned, he's had dinner, he's worked all day, he lays down in front of the fireplace, puts his head up on that very uncomfortable stool. I mean, lordy mighty, get him a damn pillow. That man needs a pillar. Anyway, he's laying there, and that Frankie just come up behind him. She slipped up, swung the axe, hit him with it in the head. Oh. They think he jumped up, maybe ran over, you know, to try to get Frankie, and... Then somehow he kind of staggered, fell on the floor. Frankie realized at that point she couldn't drag his body out. It was going to be too large to bury. It's snowing. It's cold. The ground's probably frozen. She's like, okay, I got to get rid rid of of this. this. So she decides to dismember him with the axe, then burn his body in the fireplace. B.S. Gaither, the clerk of court, later remarked that during the trial, there was strong evidence of Frankie's abuse, and that if she would just admit to the killing and plea self-defense, she probably would get an acquittal. But Frankie would not admit to killing Charlie. She insisted she was not guilty. She didn't have anything to do with it. And get this, she didn't testify at her trial. In the early 19th century, women were not allowed to give testimony in court. Period. No. Wow. But she never confided in her attorney about what actually happened. Oh, so she can tell him and he can say it in court? Yeah, so that's how it would work. You would get an attorney. You would tell him your side of the story. He would go into court and present your side of the story for you while you sit there silently. And then the jury would base it on what your attorney is saying. Shit like that just makes me think, what the fuck was wrong with men back then? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you didn't want women to do this or let them do that. And I mean, what the fuck? Carry on. During the trial, hardly any evidence was presented against Frankie. Okay. I mean, in today's world, she likely wouldn't have even been indicted for the murder because it was all circumstantial. Yeah, you could just keep your mouth shut. They just kind of created this whole story of, well, he was sleeping and she whacked him with the axe. Well, I mean, we might have some advanced forensics that could prove that, you know, whatever happened there and all that. But yeah, you're right. It is all circumstantial. Several officials had requested the governor pardon Frankie or at least send her to prison instead of giving her the death sentence. Now, we would all maybe call this a justifiable homicide at this point, but the fact that she concealed the murder probably made her look suspicious. Well, yeah. But you got to consider, she was living in this male-dominated world, so I'm sure she thought she'd never get away with that whole self-defense reasoning. Everybody loved Charlie. He was a lot, you know, the life of the party, and people carry on and on about how they love, you know, so they... She may have been right on that. 
But if he really was abusive and she killed him and left his body there and then went and said, oh, Lord, he was trying to kill me. I killed him. Maybe. You know, I killed him back. Instead of cutting him up and burning him in the then, fireplace. you know, people would have been like, oh, poor Frankie. You know, she was just trying to defend herself. Maybe. Right. She didn't but give him a chance. The fact that she kills him and burns right. his body, dismembers him. Right. It just makes her look guilty as hell to these people. And at the time, women had no rights. It was considered perfectly legal for a man to beat his wife. Right. There were other cases at the time of men who even murdered their wives during the time that this trial is happening. There are other trials going on in surrounding counties. I read of two or three cases, I didn't make note of them, where men had killed their wives, like had beaten their wives to death or murdered their wife because they thought she was committing adultery. Right. And they only received fines. Like, you have to pay $25. That's crazy. And you're guilty, but move along. Well, that's when you get times like those, you get the rule of thumb, you know? You can beat your fucking woman on the courthouse steps with a rod no bigger than your thumb. Yeah, right. So, I mean, yeah. So, maybe she didn't just didn't believe anybody would believe her. It seemed they were definitely making an example of Frankie. Right. Because it's like, hey, men, you can murder your women. We're going to slap you with a fine and send you home. Yeah. But women, if you murder your men... We're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. During her time between sentencing and the actual hanging, Frankie was busted up out of jail. Oh, really? This is where the story gets kind of interesting. During her time between sentencing and the actual hanging, Frankie was busted up out of jail. Really? Oh, yeah. Jailbreak. <laughs> a key was used to open the doors where she was allowed to leave, I guess, out of the prison basement. So they think someone broke in, like, through a window in the prison basement, made their way up, but they had a set of keys, unlocked her, and then just took her out the basement door. So she has some sympathizers in the community. Possibly. And there was rumor that there was a certain jailer that they thought probably gave someone, her family, her brother, her dad, the key. Okay. They got a copy of the key made, came back, got her out. So he kind of got into some trouble. Really? That guy did, yeah. And I can't remember his name. I didn't note it. Frankie was found a few days later, and there's been some dispute whether she was found in Henderson County or Rutherford County. Some documents say Henderson, others say Rutherford. So she didn't make it too far. Either way, she's uh, she's trying to get up out of there. She was dressed in men's clothes and had her hair cut short. She was with her father and uncle. I guess the sheriff's posse tracked her down and asked what her name was, and she said Tommy. But they knew it was Frankie and took her back to jail. There was even, and this is part of the legend, someone said, you know, that's Frankie. You know, that's Frankie. And that her uncle shouted and said, that's not right. Her name's Tommy. <laughs> so who knows? That was just one of the, uh, you know, little stories that have come over, over the years. She was hanged on July 12th, 1833. Some people say she was hung from an oak tree, but it was likely a scaffold. Legend is that when she was asked about her last words, her father said, die with it in you, Frankie. And she didn't say anything. Didn't speak. Oh, and damn. Yeah. All right, die with it in you, Frankie. Which many thought proved a theory that her family had aided in the murder. It was said that Frankie Silver's father, Isaiah Stewart, allegedly told his daughter if she didn't kill Charlie, he would do it. He disapproved of the way Charlie drank, the way he behaved. He didn't like Charlie putting his hands on Frankie. Well, most dads won't like that. He urged Frankie to take care of Charlie. The Silver family was much wealthier than Stewart's, and by wealthier, I mean back in those days, they probably just had like a couple extra cows. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe owned a little more land. It wasn't like they were wealthy, how we think of wealthy today. Some people believe that Isaiah helped Frankie murder Charlie in hopes of securing the plot of land that Charlie and Frankie had been gifted, you know, from his family. Oh, so he can grow his. Yeah. Okay. Another legend surrounding this story is that Charlie had gone out after chopping wood to fetch some Christmas liquor. He had taken a nip, then another, then another, and then by the time he got home, he was drunk. 
with the baby screaming. He's got this nagging wife pissed off because he's gone and got this liquor and he's already started drinking it. That he got really mad, starts, you know, beating Frankie, abusing her, and even pulled a gun on her. And that's when she decided, you know, she wasn't going to take this shit anymore, essentially got this axe and defended herself. Well, yeah, and that would be straight up self-defense if that were to happen like that. A book called The Untold Story of Frankie Silver by Perry Ding Young, which I read in preparation for this story, kind of turned upside down some of the theories and misinformation surrounding this case. Young shows how Frankie was unjustly hanged and even claims to have seen some documents that show Frankie's innocence, which he reproduces in the book. Now, I did read it, and it's a great case, a great story, very well documented. Some really interesting details. Another false bit of info that has circulated over the years is that Frankie was the first woman hanged in North Carolina. Yes. Which is wrong. There have been several women hanged. A couple of them were black women at this time, so they would have been slaves. And there were also a few white women. I think there was somewhere between like seven to nine women that had been hanged. What the hell? Before Frankie. That other book was telling me some lies. Now, there is like a a tombstone, I guess, that says Frankie's the only woman hanged in Burke County. But that's wrong as well. That's Really? Yeah, that's not correct. Fuck. So again, it's this whole, we got this legend. Why are they trying to make Frankie the only, the first chick hung? We got to pass the story around because we got to sensationalize it. Okay, so they can get you to come down to the Frankie Silver's store and buy stuff and shit like that? Maybe, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> A little information about Nancy, the daughter. She was married twice, eventually lived and died in Macon County, North Carolina. She changed her name back to her husband's first name, Parker. So she's Nancy Parker and is buried at the Mount Grove Cemetery in Macon County. Okay. Now let's talk about a few things here. How difficult is it to burn a body in a cabin fireplace? Well, that sounds uh, very, uh, even a stove or fireplace or anything. I don't know that it gets hot enough. Think about how fucking hard that would be. I don't think, yeah. You got an axe. You're going to dismember this body with this axe. Yes. Think of the mess. Think right. of how difficult that is. And That's why a lot of people think Frankie could not have pulled this murder off on her own. Well, I'm going to tell you, as a true crime fan and just having, you know, some cases with burning bodies and stuff, the description of the heat that you have to get it kind of to that inferno, like, phase, it is um, said to be impossible to do in any kind of open face. It has to be like a barrel at the very least, or something that concentrates and reflects that heat back onto the body. It just does not get hot enough to reduce bone and stuff to fragments. Well, as I kind of, you know, described Frankie, I mean, she's a solid little thing. Right. She's splitting wood. She's working like a man. Yeah, she could definitely club somebody in the head. She's out here holding her own, leading this rough life on this farm, on this, you know, homesteading. She's about that life. She is. So, could she have committed this crime and chopped him? I mean, it's possible. But, I mean, I don't know. you got to think of the level of physical exertion you've got to put into... Right. And you're talking chopping him up basically in the room in front of the fire. And there's no chop mark. You know, it's, it's on boards, you know, planks. And there's no chop marks. And it's not like you have access to big boy cleaners like bleach and you basically got what some lye soap and damn a couple other basic ingredients you know well, is the, that really and gonna then you gotta think about if she cooked supper they ate supper he lays down for a nap falls asleep i mean this is what maybe 6 p.m I'm right dark yeah this is dark 30 she's gonna kill him dismember him and then Thoroughly scrub and clean this cabin. And keep the fire going for an extended period of time to burn him up. Still not sure. Yeah, because you got to tend the fire. Yeah, you got to keep it roaring. That fire's got to be tended. Yeah. And so you got to think she's doing all that in the course of maybe 12 hours before she's up early the next morning. 
over at his parents' house. Come out where he's, uh, yeah, come out, he's doing this and that. And oh yeah, I've been up at it early this morning myself while they're out there washing these clothes. Right. I don't know. It's a really interesting case. It's a pretty tight window to get so, all that done. Did she have help? Did she not have help? I don't know. Well, it seems like if she had help that they would have just, you know, rolled him up in something and took his body off somewhere. Right. Because if they had done that, then there wouldn't be the supposed greasy, you know, residue and teeth and all that mess in the stove or fireplace. Right. So that would be a much, um, much more efficient, right? If you took his body away and said he went hunting and never came back. Because back then, I'm sure stuff did happen. Or think about this. That she where people didn't come back. Busted his head open with this axe, taken the body out, thrown it in the river. Yeah. Right? It may or may not wash down, but she could always be like, oh, well, he was probably drunk and fell in, busted his head open. Or some marauders. Wouldn't that have been a much more believable story? Bandits clubbed him over the head for his whatever, you know? Right. Yeah. But, you know, there was evidence. As I mentioned during the trial, it came out that she was an abused woman. I mean, this was something people knew. Her family knew what was happening. I guess others knew that Charlie would get drunk and beat his wife. Right. So, you know, that part, I guess, was kind of common knowledge. I mean, there was a lot of documents showing that this was something people knew. Right. But it was just never presented at the trial because she wouldn't admit she'd done anything. Well, that and, you know, women didn't get fair shakes back then, so. They did not. Yeah. Well, The Legend of Frankie Silver has spawned several plays, books, as I've mentioned, and even a murder ballad. We love our murder murder ballads here. We do. That's how you know you've made it big time when you get a murder ballad. Yeah, in Appalachia. Yeah. Or Appalachian. Yeah, that's when you know you've made it, when they make a murder ballad about you. That is the story of Frankie Silver. And that's a good one. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. I mean, it's a story I grew up with. Yeah, I'd heard Much of it. like the Tom Dooley case right. that we covered early on. Yeah. The Legend of Nance Dude. Well, the Lawson family to a degree. Yeah. I'm sure down in that area. Yeah, these people... are definitely some stories that we've grown up with here in the mountains. Yeah, and uh, we like those back in the day stories because we feel like uh, it's not been, you know, it's really, we know of them here in the region, you know. We hear them or bits and pieces of them, but we feel like uh, other people haven't heard these stories at all. Yeah, maybe not. So we want to get those out. Of course, if you love the podcast, you can hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Yeah, you can subscribe on any major place that you listen. Apple Podcasts, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Yeah. Spotify. <laughs> I always say it wrong. CastBox. Some, basically, anywhere you hear podcasts, you can subscribe. And give us a five-star rating if you so see fit. And you can support us on Patreon if you look for Mountain Murders Podcast. And, of course, we always post links to our Patreon um, page on Twitter and Facebook. But you can join Patreon as a patron. And for as low as 3 bucks a month, you're going to get extra bonus content. Yeah. Photos, videos, more podcasts, stuff exclusively for Patreon. Yeah, Can't get and, it anywhere else. And we try some things that are a little bit different there sometimes for patrons on Patreon. Yeah, so you're billed once a month, just a couple of bucks, and you're help supporting the podcast. For example, just got a brand new laptop. Yes, and that was bought with Patreon money, and supported I'm money. I'm sitting here looking at this brand new laptop, and, and I'm like, wee! So, and that improved everything here at Mount Murders in the studio. That's true. It did. And we so we'd like to thank our, pa- our patrons for your support and thank everybody for listening. I feel like the beer's kicking in. Do you really? You, you're like, la, la, la. Yeah. No, I feel like I'm, uh, I feel like, uh, yeah, I'm good. You're looking a little beer happy. No. Well, well maybe I'm just <laughs> podcast happy. <laughs> well, thanks for catching this episode of Mountain Murders. And we'll be back with more true crime cases.